changes. What's the Word? Brought to you by Columbia Baptist Church in Columbia, Kentucky on 101.9 WAIN. I am Randy Johnson, the senior pastor at Columbia Baptist Church, and thank you for joining us every Wednesday night at 6 o'clock right here on 101.9 WAIN. Well, good evening and welcome to What's the Word this evening. I'm thankful that you've joined me for this 44th episode of What's the Word. I cannot believe that we're coming up on a year, almost a year, and it's getting pretty close because I took four or five, three or four weeks off, I think, sometime during the summer. Uh, I was doing some traveling and had some uh, just family time, didn't have an opportunity to to do the show, but we're coming up on a year since I have started What's the Word? And I appreciate the good folks that I get to pastor at Columbia Baptist Church here in Columbia, Kentucky, the ladies at Adair Drug, and the Martins over at Grissom Martin Funeral Home, who all help to make this program possible, bringing this program to you every evening, every Wednesday evening at 6 o'clock on 101.9 on 1270 a.m., as well, and also streaming on 1019wain.com. And I appreciate them giving me this opportunity and this time slot on those radio shows and on their website. I also realized the other day, uh, and I've seen it before, but they will also like whenever uh, on Facebook, they will like the post when I put the podcast of this radio show on Facebook. And so if you follow 93.5 WAIN, 101.9 WAIN, if you follow them on Facebook, then they will, on their page, they'll like and share the podcast. Uh, So every Thursday morning, I upload this one-hour radio show that is live right now. And it gets uploaded on my personal podcast, which is called Walk This Way. And I will publicize that and and put it on all of the different methods and ways that people listen to podcasts. And uh, there's uh, about 10 different uh, apps that carry my podcast. I'm thankful for that. Easiest way to find it is to go to anchor.fm backslash walk this way. And you can find all 44, as of tomorrow morning, all 44 episodes of What's the Word there on Walk This Way. And so just just a little bit of information for you. You'll also find some sermons that I've preached at Columbia Baptist Church. And those messages will be on there as well. Well, to say that I am excited about this show tonight is an understatement. Uh, you know, I get excited about every Wednesday night. I, I'm, I'm excited to have the opportunity to do the radio show and to bring some kind of perspective on the world through the lens of Scripture. How do we see events that happen around us, to us, in our world, in our community? How do we respond to them? And more importantly, what does the Bible say that Christians should how how should Christians respond? How should Christians feel about certain issues? And how how should we make it known to others what the Bible says about these certain things that are going on in the world? And so I look forward to sharing my perspective with you. And of course, as I always say, if you'd like to share your perspective with me, Easiest way to do that is to email me. My email address is randy at columbiabaptist.com. Feel free to drop me a note and let me know what you think. If you have a different perspective or just want to affirm my perspective, maybe something that I've said has been beneficial to you, or maybe there's a topic that you'd like to hear, please email me and let me know. Uh, You can do that tonight. You can do that anytime. But I am excited about this show because I do think that it's going to be thought-provoking. And one of the topics as a senior pastor that I have, I guess, I've always been passionate about this particular topic, even before I surrendered into the ministry, 
it was always one of those topics that I felt like churches ought to be superior at several things. Obviously, you'd want your church to excel in everything, but there are certain churches that excel in certain types of ministries or certain areas of church life that some churches struggle, either because of finances or just the lack of spiritual gifts in the church. Just don't They just can't get a lot of traction and momentum in certain areas. But I really firmly believe that every single church on the planet filled with Bible-believing, born-again, children of God, followers of Jesus, every single church and every single Christian ought to be superior at what I'm going to talk to you about tonight. There really is no excuse to not be an effective gospel presenter, a soul winner, someone who is active at carrying the gospel to the ends of the earth. There is no excuse for any Christian on the planet not to share their faith with people that do not know Jesus Christ. That's going to be the topic this evening. Whenever I think about this topic, the very first thing that I always think about is spiritual warfare. Because if you take the good news of Jesus into the life of or the realm of your workplace or into uh, sometimes even your own home, you know, a spouse or a child or an aunt, uncle, or if you take the gospel into your neighborhood in a new way and you begin to have conversations with people, the Bible literally affirms that we are taking light into the darkness. Now, we know just by turning on a light switch in a dark room that the light eliminates the darkness. And really, even the smallest flame will pierce the darkness. You can see a candle in one pitch black, dark room. You can see one candle in a dark cave because that light, though it may be far away and it may be dim, will pierce the darkness in a powerful way. We know that the gospel will do that. But yet, it is spiritual warfare in the sense of We are invading the enemy's territory. But nonetheless, even though it is spiritual warfare, God has equipped us with his spirit. He has given us his word. He has given us his presence. And so we know that he will never leave us or forsake us. And we also know that the gates of hell cannot prevail, as Jesus said, against the good news of Jesus Christ. It cannot. Nothing can stop the gospel message of Jesus and the light invading the darkness. So why do we struggle so much? Why do we fail more often than we succeed at sharing the message of Christ with people that are lost? And I and I will submit and say I think that's a terrible way of putting it. Because we don't ever fail when we are obedient to what God calls us to do. We never fail whenever we are faithful to share the message of Christ with someone and they don't accept Christ. That's not failure on our part. We're called to be faithful to do it, to share, to tell people. My purpose tonight And my purpose in this radio show is to encourage you to try. My encouragement to you is to make the effort stronger today than you did yesterday in sharing the message of hope with people that are lost. And when we commit to do that as churches and as Christians, as individual families in our neighborhood, then the light will begin to pierce the darkness even greater and in more powerful ways than we could possibly imagine. You know, one story that I read the other day is about an actor that died. And this particular actor was 80 years old. 
I believe I'm pronouncing his last name correctly, but his full name is Sid Haig, H-A-I-G. And Sid, in, according to the article, is best known for a character named Captain Spaulding in Rob Zombie's horror films. And it mentioned, you know, two or three of these horror movies. It, it listed the names of these movies that he has been in. And playing this character, uh, Captain Spaulding, is a murderous clown in, in these movies. Apparently it's a recurring character in these movies that, uh, that Rob Zombie has put together. Well, he passed away this past Saturday. And on an Instagram post, his wife, named Susie, decided to have a little bit of a memorial, a obituary of sorts. And I want to read to you exactly what she put in the Instagram post, and then I want to tell you what I think about what she said. She wrote, and I quote, On Saturday, September the 21st, 2019, my light, my heart, my true love, my king, and the other half of my soul, Sydney, passed from this realm onto the next. She goes on and says, quote, He has returned to the universe, a shining star in her heavens. He was my angel, my husband, my best friend, and always will be. He adored his family, his friends, and his fans. This came as a shock to all of us. We as a family are asking that our privacy and time to mourn be respected. Good night, my love. We will find each other again next time. I love you. I read this touching tribute that this lady left to her husband. I don't know how long they've been married. The article didn't say how long she or how old she was or how long they had been married or whatever. I know he was 80 years old. And she mentions in her tribute about, you know, his friends, his family, his fans. So perhaps he has children. I don't know. Uh, perhaps he has a, a brother, sister, siblings. I, I, I don't know. All I know about the man is what I just read to you out of this article and in the tribute that his wife, Susie, writes about him, this actor named Sid Haig. When I read her tribute, a couple of things jumped out to me. Number one, you know, it is a loving tribute. I mean, she, she calls him, you know, my heart, my true love, you know, the other half of my soul. You know, while that's not, I mean, no person can be half of your soul, but you know, but I, but I get what she's trying to say. You know, she loves this man. This is her other half, as we say in married life, uh, because the Bible teaches that when a husband and wife are united in marriage, the two become one. And so she has every right to feel as though half of her life is now gone. You know, he's passed away. But the second paragraph in the article and the second paragraph from her tribute saying that he has returned to the universe, a shining star in the heavens, is a testimony to me that most people have a misunderstanding of life and certainly of the afterlife. She says he was my angel, my husband, my best friend, and again, uh, best friend, husband, love that. You know, I, I, I love the, the touching tribute. But then she says, we will find each other again next time. I love you. Now, as I mentioned a minute ago, or just a few seconds ago, I realize that people have a misconception a lot of times of what happens to a person after they die. Where does somebody go? Where does their body go? Where does their soul go? What happens to a person? Obviously, the, this, this particular lady believes in some type of afterlife, but what she believes in is contrary to what the Bible teaches. Now, I don't mean to be and, and certainly don't want to be critical of what she said, 
as much as I want to alert us and all of the listeners of this show who believe in what the Bible teaches and the what the gospel of Christ promises to those who believe in Jesus that the afterlife contains, that we don't go from this life back to the universe, that we don't become a star in the heavens, we don't become an angel, we don't sit in a cloud. And I would say that a lot of people misunderstand what happens to a person when they die. And just reading this lady's statement, if she had been or if she was, is a Christian, and if Sid had been a follower of Jesus, then I believe that her tribute would have read much differently. For example, if the roles were reversed here, and by reversed, what I mean is if, let's just say my wife was writing this about me, that would not be for all that my wife knows about my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. My wife would not say, that I have now gone back to the universe and have become a shining star and that I've become an angel, she would not say those things because she knows that my faith and trust is in Jesus and she also knows what the Bible teaches about the afterlife. So I'm, I'm making a statement in response to not to be critical to what the lady said, but I rather want to turn our attention to the misunderstanding that many people have as to what happens to a person after they die. And friends, listen, the reason that I'm telling you this is because I honestly believe that if most Christians had a solid understanding of heaven and hell, it would propel us out into the world to tell more people about Jesus Christ. I think that a lot of believers in Jesus genuinely either don't understand or think that most people understand the difference between heaven and hell that either they themselves have not become convinced of the reality of hell or they honestly think that most people that they come in contact with have some kind of a relationship with Jesus Christ. But let me make something crystal clear. At the moment of conception, when a human life begins to form inside the mother's womb, At that moment, the Bible teaches us that God begins to knit us together, both body and soul. And we become a person that we become a person that has a body, but also from that moment will have a soul that lives forever. This is the divine touch of creation from God. That when God creates us, though our bodies will fail because of sin, our soul will live forever. And the Bible also teaches there are only two options for all of eternity. There is either an eternal presence with God in heaven or eternal separation from God in hell. And there is no returning back to the universe. There is no turning into a star or an angel or sitting on a cloud playing a harp. There is no medium place, this hanging out place and hoping that we get let go one day from, you know, this uh, mediary place. And, and hopefully somebody will pray us out of there and get us into heaven or, or whatever the, uh, the, the thought might be. But in reality, the Bible teaches very clearly that once we are born, our bodies will fail at some point and our soul will live forever. And it is appointed man wants to live and to die, and after that, the judgment. And so there is, because there are only two options, there is no softer option of somewhere in the middle. And what we need to be faced with the reality of is that we are literally watching people living their life, going about their day, going to the store, going to the bank, going to work, 
going home, feeding their family, doing the dishes, going to bed, waking up the next day, doing it all over again with no reality that the moment that their life on this earth ends, that their soul is going to spend someplace in eternity. And when I read that article, it just awakened within me, again, the reality of the fact that many of us either don't know or we don't care that there are lost people around us, people that are literally living in darkness that are then going to turn around and they are going to spend eternity in hell when their life is over because they've never trusted in Jesus Christ. They've never come to that moment where they have been face to face with their own sin and they've never been given the opportunity to turn from their sin and to trust in Jesus Christ. And a lot of people have a misunderstanding of heaven and hell. A lot of people have a misunderstanding of where do I go when I die. A lot of people have a misunderstanding of, well, or they'll just think, well, when I die, my body goes into the grave and my life is over, and so I might as well just live it up as long as I can. And this is the reason why I want to spend this show sharing different thoughts, ideas, encouragements with you to encourage you to get out of your comfort zone, to begin to have conversations with people that you know, your sphere of influence, people that you work with, people that you are related with, related to, people that you live with in your own home, people that you come in contact with, just to begin the conversation with them what do you think about Jesus? Do you know him? Do you know why he died? Do you know why he rose again? And what difference does it make in your life? You know, there are all kinds of people that we come in contact with. And there are all sorts of people who, um, you know, we look at, I think, in in society around us, and, and we make judgments about people of whether or not we think they're good people or bad people. And a lot of times we think, okay, well, that's going to determine where they spend eternity. I, I found a collection of stories the other day of people that, you know, just interact with people and, and sometimes the way that certain people live, sometimes the way that certain people act, it just leaves you shaking your head. Uh, for example, there was one, uh, a lady said, I'm a server at the Cheesecake Factory restaurant. She said, and the other day a lady complained that the bread was cold and hard. The server says, well, I apologized and I said that I would see what I could do. And then she threw the bread at her and said, feel for yourself. Now, you're sitting in a restaurant and somebody throws bread at the waitress and gets mad, and uh, it, it's over bread. I mean, sometimes people act so entitled, so irritable, so frustrated, and their emotions get the better of them. You know, speaking of people being entitled, there was one story It says, my daughter worked at Sephora, and when the checkout line was really long, a woman cut in front of everyone saying, quote, I need to go first because I know I'm spending more money today than all of you. Now, not only is that funny in one sense, but if you're one of those people standing in line, you just have to think, lady, who do you think you are? And just because you're spending more money doesn't, I mean, that's not how a line works. In a store, if you're going to spend a million dollars or you're going to spend $10, it, it doesn't make any difference. If you get to the front of the line first, you go first. This is, you know, this is what we learn in society. But you see all kinds of stuff. Uh, there was another one that says a woman called our dentist office and requested an appointment at a specific date and time. When I told her there was already someone scheduled at that time, she had the audacity to say, quote, well, can't you just move them? <laughs> because her appointment is more important than the other lady's appointment. I wonder how many times a doctor's office has done that for somebody who has been maybe a little irate. 
maybe a little bit of a diva on the phone, maybe a little bit too demanding. Uh, there was another one that said, back in the 90s, my husband and I bought a $500 computer for our daughter for graduation. She said, quote, why should I say thank you? I didn't ask for it. You know, I mean, now that's back in the 90s. Uh, but kids today, I mean, it's 2019, almost 2020. Kids today are just as entitled, just as spoiled. Uh, you know, just as as demanding, I, I guess, is another way of putting it. So, you know, a lot of times it's... Uh, it just makes you scratch your head. It just makes you stop and think, you know, why do people act the way that they do? There was another story. It says, I work at a restaurant, and one of our servers complimented a woman on her purse hanging over her chair. The woman responded, oh, honey, you'll never be able to afford this. You know, why do people act that way? Why can't you just say thank you? Why can't you just say, oh, yes, I love this purse. It's my favorite. I, I carry it out all the time. You know, this this is one of my... Why do you have to go immediately to cutting somebody else down? It's amazing. But I, this article that I read, it was filled with stories like that of just, you know, constantly just putting people down or, you know, feeling entitled or using their clout to get ahead. And again, the reason I'm sharing these things with you is because this is real life. Now, just because somebody hasn't done something like this to you or said something like this to you, that doesn't mean that people don't feel this way. It doesn't mean that people don't act this way. Maybe they haven't acted that way to you, but they do believe this way, I mean, most people feel entitled on some level. Most people are spoiled and feel as though they deserve some kind of special treatment because of who they are, what they've accomplished. You know, they think they deserve a special parking spot. They believe they deserve some kind of a discount. The, they believe that they should be at the front of the line, not the back. I mean, whatever it is, this is the sickness of human nature. And I tell you this simply because this is the reason why we should share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people that are lost. We get so wrapped up in who we are, what we think, what we want, what we're about, and we literally put ourselves ahead of every other person. One of my favorite thoughts that comes from the Bible, uh, and I say thoughts, I mean, it, it, it's the Apostle Paul calling himself something that, that is a thought to me that resonates in my head many, many times. I really believe, and, and many people do, that the Apostle Paul is the greatest missionary who's ever been on the planet. I mean, here is a guy that was killing Christians for believing in the gospel, and he's a guy that went about the entire known world planting churches, putting his life on the line, telling people, standing before judge, jury, and executioner, telling people about Jesus Christ. And yet Paul, in one of his letters, says, I am the chief of sinners. So Paul is saying, if you line up every single person who has ever lived and will ever live, and you line them up in order of the greatest sinner down to the most humble person who has sinned the least— he says, I'm first in that line. Now, again, it's almost the year 2020. Over the span of human history, we can think of a lot of terrible people who have killed a lot of people, who have done a lot of awful things, that have used influence to encourage people to do dumb stuff. I mean, we could really stop and think about a lot of people that have done a lot of bad things. Paul says... In one of his letters in the New Testament, I am the worst person who has ever lived. I am the chief of sinners. It is a rare breed of people that see themselves through the eyes of God. God does not rank us in terms of our sin, and praise the Lord for that. Because I think a lot of us would be surprised at what our number is. 
But thankfully, God doesn't rank us in terms of or in order of our greatest sin. But what God does do is he shows us all that in contrast to his holiness, that we are all sinners in need of his grace. You see, all of us may, you know, you could say, well, the list of those little stories that you read, none of that stuff has happened to me. But let's turn it around and let me ask you, have you ever acted that way to someone? Have you ever wanted to put yourself first? Have you ever gotten irritated with someone and and felt entitled to some special privilege or believe that you deserve some something in addition to what you had already received? Have you ever looked down on someone because you think you're better than they are? Now, see, a lot of us don't want to admit that, but in all reality, on some level we have. But even if you feel as though you haven't, chances are you know people who have. And that's my point. Even if you give yourself a passing grade when it comes to being a sinner, you still know people that fall short of the glory of God. And friend, I'll just break the news to you. You do too. And regardless of where we are in our eternal rank of sinners, whether we're at the top or the bottom of the list, all of us deserve the wrath of God for our sin that keeps us separated from the God who created us and sent his son to redeem us from our sin. And I say all of that to simply say this. God makes it crystal clear that not only did Jesus die for the sins of the world, but the world's sins need to be atoned for. We all need Jesus. And this is why we must make it a point to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. Everybody needs it, and we should make sure that everybody hears it. Well, I found another example of a reason why we should share our faith with people that don't know Jesus. And it happened as an inspiration from a website that I found ranking the very best NBA professional basketball centers of all time. Now, a center in basketball, a center, I need to pronounce that correctly, uh, they're all centers, but a center in basketball is usually the big man in the middle, is what they call him. He is the guy that is typically the tallest, usually is close to the basket. He rebounds the ball when a shot is missed. He blocks, shot if, blocks shots if somebody tries to come and take a, a layup or a short shot in the lane. And they usually get a lot of dunks and a lot of layups. These guys are usually undervalued, I would think. Um, but this particular list puts a high value on the 10 best NBA centers of all time. Now, I'm not going to read all 10 of them to you because I don't want to start a fight if you're an NBA fan. Uh, it would be like saying who is the best shooting guard of all time. Well, many of you know that Michael Jordan played, the, played in the NBA as a shooting guard. And, of course, you would expect him to be at the top of the list, but then one would start a fight if they said, well, who's the best player of all time? That's well, a very subjective list. The best center of all time in, the, in professional basketball is probably not as hard of a list to come up with, but once you get to, like, the top two or three or four, you might start to disagree because then you're looking at some very specific factors. So I'm going to give you the top five and tell you how this relates to evangelism. Number five on the list is Wilt Chamberlain. Now, I took a bit of an issue with this because Wilt was so high or, or actually so low, you know, being number five, I would have thought that he would have been a little closer to the top because number one, Wilt Chamberlain is the only guy in the history of the NBA to have ever scored 100 points. 
He averaged 30 points a game, 23 rebounds a game, and four and a half assists a game. This guy was like one of the first big, dominant, uh, just building blocks of a franchise kind of a center. Uh, I mean, he is, he was then a massive individual. In fact, the season that he scored 100 points in a game, 1961-62, that season, he averaged 50 points a game and almost 26 rebounds a game. Again, just a, a massive individual, a tremendous player, 50 points a game, just phenomenal. Number four on the list is Bill Russell. Now, Bill Russell played his entire career with the Boston Celtics. He averaged 22 points a game, 15 or 22 rebounds, 15 points, and four assists. He was, without question, the team captain. He was the centerpiece for the entire franchise. He made everything happen. He won 11 NBA titles. Uh, I mean, this guy, you know, played every minute of the game. You know, he, he never he just wasn't injured very much. 12 all-star appearances, 11 championships. I mean, it's hard to argue that Bill Russell should be on this list. What I did have issue with is number three on the list because he never played center. It's Tim Duncan. Now, Tim Duncan was... His nickname was the Big Fundamental because Tim Duncan did everything by the fundamentals. He did everything very well. He was a great workhorse, played his entire career with San Antonio Spurs, but he was never a center. And even when he had to guard the big man, he was always considered a power forward. So the fact that he's number three on the list, I think you should just eliminate him make Bill Russell number three, and make Wilt Chamberlain number four. That being said, number two on the list, I have no argument with. And I have no argument with him being number two because I don't have any argument with who is number one. And in fact, I would say that if it weren't for the issue of longevity, you could argue that number two and number one could be switched. Number two on the list is Shaquille O'Neal. I'm a little biased to Shaquille because I went to LSU at the same time that Shaquille did. Uh, it was a little bit after him. I mean, he he was there a short while I was in high school, and and he left around the time that I was at LSU. But you know, he was he was so dominant in college as a much well, I say much skinnier, but uh, but a little skinnier, uh, you know maybe an inch shorter than he eventually grew to seven foot one. But by the time he entered into the NBA and really started to mature, this guy was just a, a beast. He was a force. He was unstoppable. Uh, you give him the ball down low, he would get position and he would just dunk on you. He was not a great, he didn't have a great touch. So he didn't have a great shot. He couldn't shoot free throws. But the guy would block, he would rebound, he would score. Uh, he won four NBA titles. I mean, Shaquille O'Neal, to me, was... I mean, when you have other centers that are on this list saying, I hated guarding him, or I'm glad I didn't have to guard him because he played in an era that I didn't play. Um, when you have those kinds of guys saying this about him and you have number one, number two, number three, number four on the list saying, I would put him number one. There's just no, there's no comparison. The size, the speed, the skill, the strength. I mean, he, he, to me, he had it all. And I would have no issue putting him number one. I also don't have any issue with who is number one. And mostly because the guy played 20 seasons. And that's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Kareem was a guy who scored every single game, 24 and a half, almost 25 points a game, 11 rebounds, three and a half assists, two and a half blocks, and one steal a game was his average over a 20-year time span. 
It is incredible. He is first all-time in points, first all-time in wins, third all-time in blocks, third in rebounds, and third in MVPs. I mean, the guy had a shot. He had the sky hook that people couldn't stop. Um, he was quick. It's you know in his prime in, in his younger years in his prime, uh, he won several MVP awards. He won Finals MVP awards. He won uh, NBA championships. I mean, the guy was just he was great. He won eleven D- all defensive selections, fifteen all time NBA or fifteen all NBA selections, nineteen All Star appearances in twenty seasons. The guy was just. I mean, he was just great. Even if you didn't like the teams that he played for, if you didn't like him as a person, uh, you know, he was still great. I mean, none of these guys on this list made it to the top of the list just simply by being nice. They made it because they were amazing. Now, what does NBA basketball and being a great center of all time have to do with evangelism? You know, a lot of times we rank people based on what we determine their greatness to be. We look at their stats. We look at how many times they hold the door open for people. We look at how much money they generously give to organizations and to our church. We look at how many times they volunteer for things. We look at what they do for the community, how faithful they are at work, how much education they get how sweet their family is. And a lot of times we look at these kinds of people and our first thought is, well, they've got to be one of the nicest, greatest people to have ever walked the planet. And what I want to grab your attention and say in this time's pot with you is that all of us could have a resume that makes us look good on some level. I mean, whatever it is that you want to judge, whatever it is you want to determine, you can find something that you have done better than the person next to you. You know, it could be something as ridiculous as, you know, you have eaten more cans of ravioli in your life than the person next to you, and so you're top on the list of the king eaters of ravioli. It could be something as ridiculous as that, but you could literally find a list and make a list of something that you're at the top of the list and people would admire you for being the best at that. Does that then give you a free pass into heaven? Does being the top of some list keep you out of spending eternity in hell? because you've baked more pies for families that have lost loved ones than the neighbor across the street, or that you've given more money to charitable organizations than anybody in your community, does that give you a free pass into heaven and out of hell? But you see, a lot of times what we do when it comes to personal evangelism is we think, well, I don't know anybody who isn't a Christian. I don't know anybody, or this is my favorite, who doesn't go to church. So let me just give you as an example the statistics about Adair County. Now, every county in America, you can find these same statistics. So it's not like I'm making these things up. There are about twenty to 22,000 people in Adair County alone. And statistics, religious statistics of just a few years ago, asked those people to identify a religious organization that they are a member of or affiliated with. Of the 20 to 22,000 people in Adair County, only 6,000 of those people claimed membership or any kind of affiliation with any religion in that area. And when I say religion, I'm talking about Protestant and Catholic. Uh, I'm talking about, uh, you know, we don't have a Mormon uh, temple in this area, but it would include those. It would include uh, Seventh-day Adventist. It would include all different types of religious organizations of 20 to 22,000 people in one county, only six 6,000 identified with some kind of a membership or affiliation. That means that two-thirds of the county in which 
I live. Two-thirds of the people, twelve to 15,000 people, in this county alone have zero affiliation with any church, no membership whatsoever with any church, and I find it hard to believe that people in Adair County would even dare to say, I don't know anybody who doesn't go to church. I don't know anybody who doesn't know Jesus. I don't know anybody who's not been saved and baptized. I don't know anybody who, and fill in the blank. Friend, the reason that we don't do more personal evangelism is for two reasons. Number one, the the sphere of people that we're wrapped up in are all Christians, and we don't get to know people outside of our sphere, outside of our circle of friends that know Jesus. The other reason is we don't try. We don't try to make those connections with people, and we don't ask people what they believe about Jesus. We don't ask people what they believe about the afterlife. We don't ask people if they've ever come in to any kind of a realization of where they will spend eternity when their life on this earth is over. And the issue is very clear and plain. The reason that there are so many lost people in Adair County is because the people that know Jesus, that have the light of Christ in them, are not shining in the dark places. We don't share our story. We don't use our voice. We do not take the message of hope to the places and to the people and to the broken families that need it. And we sit by and we watch different different manners and methods of destroying families, destroying lives, killing people spiritually and physically, and we do nothing about it. We sit there and we wring our hands. We moan and wail, and we think that somehow, some way, if we could just think of a plan, have some kind of an organizational structure to do something, that that's going to be the answer. Friend, I'm telling you, Jesus has already given us the answer, and the answer is him, and the method is the gospel, and the messenger is you. And until we are willing to get outside of our bubble and talk to people that don't know Jesus and tell them the life-saving message, the eternity-saving message of the good news of Jesus. Until we're willing to do that, we will never see any difference in our community or any other community for that matter. So this coming Sunday, I'm starting a sermon series on the book of Jonah. I've spent the last seven weeks or so in 2 Corinthians chapters 3 through 7 and have been preaching about identity. Who are we in Christ? Well, now that we know who we are in Christ, and by the way, all of those messages can be found on my podcast, which is entitled Walk This Way. And in case you missed it in the beginning of the show, you can find that podcast at anchor.fm backslash walk this way. Just go to go to the internet, pull up any browser, type in anchor.fm backslash walk this way, and you'll find my podcast. You can find it on Spotify, Google, iTunes, Pocket Cast. There, there are nine different ways that you can find that. You could just do a Google search for Walk This Way podcast, and it'll show you all the d- different ways that you can uh, subscribe to it. When you do, you'll find those messages out of 2 Corinthians and those chapters on identity. Who are we in Christ? Okay, now that we know that, what difference does it make? What difference does it make who I am in Jesus? Well, it should affect how I live. It should affect how often I pray. It should affect how I serve in a church. It should affect the relationships that I have. It should affect what I deem to be appropriate versus inappropriate in my life. And last but not least, it should affect the manner in which I take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so now I'm going to be preaching for four weeks out of the book of Jonah. And Jonah is a somewhat familiar story because we know the big moments. We know the moments about Jonah running away. We know the moments about Jonah being thrown into the ocean and a big fish swallowing him. We know that Jonah repented of his sin and was spit out of the fish's mouth onto dry land back to where he was supposed to be. He went to the area that he was supposed to preach to, and lo and behold, Jonah shared the message of hope, and the people were saved. 
The problem with Jonah is not the message. The problem with Jonah was not the people. The problem with Jonah was his heart. And Jonah did more damage to his own testimony, not because he didn't tell the message of hope to the people that needed to hear it, because eventually he did, but Jonah's biggest problem was Jonah. And friend, you know, there's a, there's a lesson there, if nothing else, that the biggest stumbling block keeping us from being faithful to Jesus is not where we live, it's not the money we have, it's not the lack of education or anything like that. It's not even the effectiveness of our church. You know, we can find lots of things to blame our laziness on, but the biggest stumbling block in our faithfulness to following Christ and taking the message of hope to people that need it is us. Me, I am the biggest stumbling block that I will ever deal with in my life. It's not the internet, it's not uh, television shows, it's not people I associate with, it's not anything exterior, it is all on me. Because God has already equipped me to take the message of hope to people that need it. He's already placed himself in me, he's given me his word. I know it to be true because it changed my life, I've seen it change thousands of people's lives. I've seen it change people outside of the continent of North America. I know it works. But what's keeping me from being a faithful and effective witness for Jesus is me. You know, speaking of being effective, I came across a list of products that will help you come across as a more responsible adult. Ladies, you need a purse organizer. Now, it's not going to take junk out of your purse that doesn't belong. Rather, it's going to straighten up your purse and make it easier for you to find stuff. You need that. You need a refrigerator mat. I noticed that this kind of bubbly, plasticky material goes on shelves, not only in a refrigerator, but you can put them down anywhere. You can put them on, you can use them as placemats. You can use them as shelf paper liner. You can put them on a bookcase to keep your books from sliding around. I mean, you can get a pack of six of these for $9.49 available in different colors from Amazon. And no, I don't get a kickback from that. Paint touch-up. Just a little bottle of touch-up paint, whenever you have little chips and cracks and stains on the wall, it keeps you from having to redo the entire wall. You just do a little portion of it. An all-natural dry shampoo, ladies, scented with lavender oil. Who will be able to know if it's been days upon days since you washed your hair? You can use all-natural dry shampoo. It will make it look as though... Your hair looks great. These are not commercials, by the way. I don't get any kind of kickback for telling you this. I'm only sharing this because this will help you to look like a responsible adult. How about some divider sticky notes? I've seen college students. I've been teaching classes at Lindsay this, this semester. And I've seen students use divider sticky notes in their notebooks. I'm really impressed. I mean, it makes them look responsible. I've seen many of you that could use a headlight, a headlight restoration kit. You know, your headlight sometimes gets foggy looking, and it has some buildup either on the inside or the outside of that plastic, you know, hard plastic that covers the headlight. These headlight restoration kits will make it look not only brand new, but will make it shine. I saw a pill keeper. Now, some of you use a pill box where you put pills. If you take pills a couple of times a day, uh, you know, every day you kind of have them separated. That way you can kind of get rid of the pill bottles and you get this pill organizer. This thing has an alarm. It tells you which pills to take at certain times of the day. You can stack them on top of each other because they're labeled Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then you pull them out of the bottom when you are at that day and the rest of the pill 
days, uh, the, the little containers that have the other days of the week just fall down so that now you're at the next day of the week. It's, that's amazing. How about a funnel? A funnel will help you to transfer the remainder of slow fluids into a new container so that you can use every last drop. How many of you have thrown away an old container of body wash or shampoo or conditioner because you just can't seem to get enough out of what's left over? You already have the new and you end up throwing the old away. There's probably enough in the old container if you left it upside down long enough to at least get half half of a handful out of that container, but you're too lazy to, you know, you don't have time. The smart funnel will get it out. I found these on the internet and it just amazed me at these products that make you look as though and feel as though you're a responsible person. Listen, sometimes as a Christian, it takes a little tune up. It takes a bit of an oil change. It takes sometimes getting a a word at a certain time, a message that you needed to hear, a wake-up call to just get you right between the eyes. You know, people tell me all the time uh, things like, you know, I stepped on their toes or, you know, it's just an expression to say that you really spoke to me and it, and it hurt, but it, it got my attention. It was good for me to hear that. And a lot of times people will use those kinds of analogies to say, well, you really grabbed my attention today. And usually it's because they needed to hear it. It was something that grabbed their attention because their attention needed to be grabbed. It was something that hit them between the eyes because they needed a wake-up call. You know, and sometimes these little as seen on TV or, you know, as seen on the internet or these little quirky little things that you can buy for five, six, seven, eight dollars, you think, oh, I don't need that. My life is just fine. But some of these little things kind of serve as a tune-up, as a tweak to your life, and they add things to you, some kind of a benefit, some kind of a, a helpful hand, and they do something for your life that you think, well, how in the world did I live before that? I want to tell you something about being focused on and fixated on evangelism. It is amazing the difference in your life when you start looking at people as either saved or lost, people as either in the light or in the darkness, people that either know Jesus or need to know Jesus. When you start looking at people like that and you begin to have those conversations, you're going to notice, number one, it gets easier to talk to people about Jesus. You see, right now, if you've been out of practice as a Christian talking to people about Jesus, it seems like it's going to be so difficult. It's so scary. What am I going to say? How am I going to start a conversation? But the more you do it, the easier it gets. Another thing you're going to do is you're going to find it easier to communicate the gospel. Yes, there might be times that you stumble over your words. We all do it from time to time. You hear me do it on this show or in my sermon. But that's just being human. The more that you get comfortable sharing your personal story and sharing the message of Jesus with people, the easier it gets and the more succinct it becomes. It starts to flow better. You use certain words more often when you become more familiar with them. And The other thing that you'll notice is, how did I get through the day before this by never telling anybody about Jesus? Why did I wait so long to tell someone the truth about Christ? Friend, if you will just take my encouragement today as motivation to look for somebody who does not know Jesus, try to find some way to start a conversation with them, invest in them spiritually by pointing them to Jesus. You may not win the entire world to Christ, but you might impact the world of one person, and that might be what God wants you to do today or tomorrow or the next day when you're faithful to put this into practice. I appreciate you listening to the encouragement. I hope that it was helpful to you. If you have any thoughts or ideas or comments about anything you've heard on the show or anything that you'd like to hear on the show in the future, please email me. My email address is randy at columbiabaptist.com. 
I hope that you have a great rest of the week, and I hope that God blesses you and uses you to be a blessing to others. Hey, this is Pastor Randy Johnson. Thank you so much for joining me for What's the Word? That show airs every Wednesday night at 6 o'clock on 101.9 WAIN, right here in the heart of Adair County in Columbia, Kentucky. Or you can catch the replay of What's the Word on my podcast, which is called Walk This Way. And you can find that in several different places. You can find it at anchor.fm backslash walkthisway on the internet, or you can find it on different apps and, and places that carry podcasts like iTunes, Spotify, Pocket Cast, and all sorts of Uh, places. You can find this broadcast. You can find messages that I've preached. And I just want to encourage you to make it a point to tune in, subscribe, and listen to all sorts of content that's on my podcast, which is called, again, Walk This Way. Thank you so much for joining me.